There's this story in the Bible about this farmer who walks along joyfully spreading seeds around him to plant. Some of the seed, though, gets tossed by the wayside, some of it on stony places and others among thorns. Not much comes of those seeds as they won't take root, and the farmer becomes discouraged. However, the farmer becomes elated when he realizes that some of his seed made it into good soil and begins producing more and more fruit, up to a hundredfold. And it's the same when it comes to sharing the good news of Christ in your community. I want to be a church that's known for allowing God to arise in our community. Welcome to Anchor Points, a program produced by Frederick Seventh-day Adventist Church of Frederick, Maryland. Here, we hope you'll find answers to some of life's everyday struggles. You can learn more at fredericksdachurch.org. Today, Robert Quintana continues with part three of his series, Mission Possible, by explaining how to allow God to arise in your community. You know that if you've ever worked in sales or you're currently working in sales where you're trying to sell a product, it can be very difficult. It's probably one of the hardest jobs out there, you know, to be making contacts, to be going door to door. Uh, You're just always trying to pitch your product in a way that is appealing, in a way where they say, you know, that's exactly what I want. That's exactly what I need. And so they buy it. And so, of course, you make money by yourself. It's very difficult work. I mean, I still remember the day that someone knocked on our door and I opened the door up and and there was this really well-dressed young man there and next to him he had a vacuum. Anybody ever have this experience? Maybe not so much in these days, but I opened the door and, and, and this was a while back. They asked me, is mom and dad home? I said, well, actually I'm staying you know, here the weekend with my sister, and, but I'll go get her. So she came to the door, and, and so they started to talk, and, and pretty soon he pulled out a bottle of wine. And, and he said, uh, is it hard for you to get, you know, wine stains out of your carpet? And so he then proceeds to say, do you mind if I pour a little bit of wine on your carpet? Do you mind if I stain your carpet? And my sister was like, well, maybe not my carpet carpet, but I'll bring out, you know, a mat or something that you can use. And sure enough, he went ahead and he poured the wine on the carpet and he kind of pressed it down so that it was really saturated into the fibers. And then he pulled out this solution and he said, step number one, and then step number two, and this is what you want to do. And then he fired up that vacuum and he just went to town and sure enough, it cleaned that carpet spotless. It looked better than when she first brought it out to him. Well, guess what? My sister bought the vacuum. (laughs) A few months ago, this was about 10 years ago, a few years ago, I asked her, I said, do you still have that vacuum that they sold you? She says, actually, I do. I said, do you ever use it? What do you think she said? Actually, she said, I use it all the time. So I was like, whoa, that's a first, because usually you hear people buying things that they never use. But in this case, she uses it all the time. And she says, I love the vacuum. It's the best vacuum I've ever, I've ever had. I mean, it really does take out stains. And, and, and sales work can be difficult, but it can be very rewarding. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 28, starting with verse 16, and it reads, 
Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Pretty interesting, isn't it? Now, some would say that at this occasion, it was not only the 11 that were there, even though that's what the Bible specifies or identifies as those that were there. But there are some that will say there were some around 500 people that were there, some that were new to the faith, some that had never met Jesus, some that were there for the very first time. And so when he says that some doubt it, it may have been referring to those individuals. But regardless of who was there, whether it was just the 11 or whether it was 500, the Bible says that some of those that were there doubted. Which is important, I feel, because of what follows. Because even though there were some there that Jesus was addressing that doubted, he still goes ahead and shares with them a commission. For those of you that have headings on your Bible, it will say the Great Commission. And even though there were some there that doubted whether or not Jesus was the Messiah, whether it was true that Jesus had died and risen from the dead, some doubted his divinity, some doubted what he was calling them to do, he goes ahead and gives them the call anyways. He extends the invitation to them anyways, which is important for us here today. Because there are some of us here today who doubt. There are some of us here today who, who think, well, may, is it all true? Maybe it's not true. Some of us doubt, is God really real? Is God really with me? Is God really going to, to walk by my side every step of the way? We might doubt the promises of Scripture. Is this whole second coming thing, is it really true? I just want to let you know that wherever you are in life right now, God is inviting you to a greater purpose and to a greater plan. And that invitation goes to you too. And so it says, here's the invitation in verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now for anyone here today, who has accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, these are words of jubilation. These are words that should bring joy and excitement. These are, it's a phrase that should empower us. I want you to just think about that for just one second. That all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus Christ. Now, Depending on what side of the fence you're on, this might be good news, it might be bad news. Let me explain what I mean. If you think that God and Jesus are some tyrant, some dictator that's out to get you, you think he's some mean God that's just looking for you to mess up wherever possible and to bring judgment and condemnation down on you, well, this phrase could be scary for you. Well, man, if that's the case and he has all authority in heaven and earth, that doesn't bode well for me. But if you're on the other side of the fence where you have come to experience God the Father and Jesus Christ. And the reason why I tie the two together is because Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So if you're on the other side of the fence and you view God the Father and Jesus Christ as a loving, merciful, forgiving God, a God who says, I want to be your friend and companion, a God who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, a God who says, I have a plan and a purpose for your life. When you read that all authority 
has been given to me in heaven and on earth, when you realize that he is for me and not against me, when you realize that he is my advocate and not my accuser, then whoa, that is awesome that all authority has been given to him. I mean, what do we have to fear? There is nothing for us to fear. He is on our side. He is on our team. The winner is on our team. The victorious God is on our side. And all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. That is good news. As a Christian, that should excite us. As Christians, that should empower us. In some ways, it should make us feel somewhat invincible. Huh? Now, think about how the disciples lived their life immediately after this commission. Somewhat invincible. I don't fear you. I don't fear you who can kill the body only. No, no, I fear him who can kill the body and the soul. Invincible. That's right, I am going to go anywhere and, and any, at any time, wherever God calls me, that's where I'm going to go. Invincible. And yeah, we know their story. Today we look back and we say, man, some of them had some really horrible deaths. But you know what? They've secured their place in eternity. And at the end of the day, in a way you can say they're going to have the last laugh because they, will have, they have secured their place in eternity. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. As Christians, that should empower us. It should make us feel good. Verse 19, go. Now that little word packs a punch. That little word there is small, but it is huge. I mean, it may only be a two-letter word, but it is big. It is so big, we're going to come back to it. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, traditionally here, the word baptizing them refers to water baptism. Now, I just want you to just think of what Jesus is asking us to do. If you think of what water baptism is, you have to look back to what John preached about. And when John was preaching at the Jordan and he was baptizing people, John the Baptist, what, what, was, what was his message? His message was, repent therefore and be baptized so that your sins may be removed. So that your sins may be washed away. Do you realize that Jesus Christ is calling us to a ministry, to a mission of freeing people from the condemnation of sin that is upon them. He is calling us to a mission to free people from addictions, to free people from what they're wrestling with, to free people to, for, to have them experience the joy of salvation. He is calling us to be able to go and tell someone that the sins in your life have been paid for in full. That the sins in your life are not being held against you because Jesus Christ has paid for those sins. And all you need to do is just accept Jesus Christ into your life. What an awesome message to share with this community. And so he calls us to baptize, to help people understand the plan of salvation. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all things which I have commanded you. Now, that is very interesting to me because a lot of times we focus on the teaching side of things. But we neglect to read on where he goes on to say that I have 
commanded you. Now, that forces us now to look at the life of Christ. It forces us to look at his ways. It forces us to look at what he commanded his disciples. It forces us to see what he instructed his disciples to be like or to act like. It forces us to look at the life of Christ and say, how did he interact with individuals? And time and time and time again, we see Jesus Christ not just teaching the letter of the law, but more importantly, we see him teaching what? The spirit of the law. And so that's why he takes the laws and the prophets, which he's clear about. He says, I've not come to destroy the law and the prophets. No, I've come to fulfill them. In other words, he came to teach us how to live out the law and the prophets. He came to teach us how we can incorporate into our day-to-day living what it means to be a follower of God, a follower of Jesus Christ. And so that's why he commands us not so much to obey the letter of the law, but to strive to live out the spirit of the law. You remember when they were trying to corner him and they said to him, what is the greatest commandment? And what did he respond? He said, to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor. And then he goes on to say, on these two hinge all of the commandments. So now let's go back to this little word, go. It's a little word, but it is jam-packed. I mean, it is jam-packed with power. You see, because most Christians don't like this word. Most Christians don't like the word go. We love the word come. We have some great ministries. We want you to come. We have a great concert coming up. We want you to come. We have an awesome seminar. We want you to come. Come, come, come. Come see what we're all about. And listen, there is nothing wrong with that, right? Because I think the Bible, and you can make an argument that we're encouraged to invite people to come. But notice that in the Great Commission, the word is not come. The word is go. Go to the mission field, which might be overseas, might be across the street. And I realize that the word go is difficult for us. I understand that the word go wells up all kinds of emotions. For those of us, or for those that stand on this side of the word go... In other words, those that have not gone, they stand on this side of the word go. Go is scary because go is like there's so much uncertainty on the other side of go. You know, there's so much unknown out there. I don't know that I have what it takes on that side of go. And so I stand on this side of go fearful of what's on the other side of go. And so I don't go, I stay. And from here I cry out, come, Come! But for those of you, for those of us who have gone and stand on this side of the word go, we know that it is awesome, that it is exciting, that it is worthy of our attention and our energy because on this side of the word go, we see God working in powerful, miraculous ways. And so I just want to share with you something very simple, a very simple concept that hopefully will tip the scales in helping those who are on this side of the word go 
to say, you know what, I'm going to give it a try. I'm going to go to this side of the word go, and I'm actually going to go out. So I just want to share with you one simple concept that hopefully can help you make that step and step out in faith and go share the good news. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles just a few chapters back to Matthew chapter 13. If your Bibles has headings, it's going to say the parable of the sower. Now, I'm not going to take the time to read the whole parable. I'm just going to share it with you real quickly. And, and most of you already know the story of a farmer who goes and he, he throws seed out. He, he's sowing seeds, right? He's throwing seeds out on his farm, right? And then, starting in verse 18, he explains the parable of the sower, of the farmer that was throwing out seeds. So let's start reading together here in verse 18. It says, therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. But he who receives the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. So, so far, not good, right? Like so far, gee, is it worth it? I mean, do we really? You know, am I just wasting time telling my neighbor about Jesus? I mean, what's the deal? Am I just wasting my time by putting myself out there and sharing God's goodness with others? Fortunately, there's another verse. Because verse 23 says, But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. So here's the simple concept that I want you to take away here today. Don't be the kind of Christian that throws one seed out every blue moon, every once in a while. What do you think the chances are between someone who throws out one seed as opposed to someone who grabs a handful of seeds and throws it out? I mean, statistically, mathematically, better chances of what? Of some of that seed falling on good soil. On soil that will nourish and help grow that soul. And as we're told in the Bible, that soul might grow up to then produce a hundredfold or thirtyfold. But that one seed fell on good soil. And as a result, that one seed turned out to now produce much fruit. As he goes around the world sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Okay, so uh, the, the concept that I want you to walk away with here today is don't be afraid to be the kind of Christian that's throwing a lot of seed out. And what that means is wherever you are, no matter what the circumstance might be, you're sharing with others the good news of Jesus Christ. I mean, at this point, it is not about what, you, what your feelings are, your feel is. Why? Because you have surrendered over to God, you have sacrificed self, and now you realize that it's not about me, but it's about saving other people, right? I, I have been covered by the blood of Christ, 
and I'm, my place in, in, in eternity is secured, it is not about me anymore. It is about saving as many people as I can before Jesus Christ comes back. So yeah, of course, I'm just going to throw out as much seed as I can where, wherever I'm at. I understand that the word go can be a little difficult. I understand that, that sometimes that word go just kind of holds us back. And, and most of the time, I believe, it's because in some ways we feel as though we're selling a product. We're selling something that we really don't quite believe in. I went online and uh, I looked up the rules of salesmanship. And now let me just make something clear here before I go on, okay? We're not selling Jesus. Jesus isn't a product to sell. Jesus is free. So we are trying to convince people that they need Jesus because they do need him, right? But we're not selling him because Jesus, thankfully, is free. And he offers himself freely to everyone. But there are some concepts some principles that can apply in trying to convince someone that they need Jesus. And so I went to the website and, and I, I downloaded here some of, the, uh, some of the rules of salesmanship. In other words, th- these are the tactics that salesmen use to convince you that they need the product that, that they're selling. Listen to this. Number one, keep your mouth shut and your ears open. How many of us have an agenda when we go in outreach projects, we have an agenda. We're constantly talking. Let me, you know, let me just tell you about our 28, you know, fundamentals. Let me just tell you about the Sabbath. Instead of just listening, just listening to, to what they're saying. Huh. All right, here's another one. Refrain from delivering. I kid you not. I got this from Entrepreneur Magazine, entrepreneur.com. Refrain from delivering a three-hour product seminar. Isn't that great? Just just refrain from just going on and on and on and on. Just stop and listen. Build a relationship with them. Ask the prospect if there are any barriers to them taking the next logical step. Law number 10, invite your prospect to take some kind of action. In other words, okay, we've had this conversation now. What are we going to do next? How are we going to follow up this conversation? Not just leave it at a, at a pleasantries. No, no. Take it to the next step. Invite them to a next step. And I love this one. Sales is not a eight to five job. If we are to present Christ in a way where people say, I need that for my life. It has to be something that is 24-7, something that we are living out, right? And then I got this from, the, he's considered a mega guru um, for sales. Listen to some of, some of his laws for salesmanship. Have a sales philosophy that emphasizes relationship building. I mean, isn't that wild that, that when people go to sell a product, One of the rules that they're saying that they're emphasizing is relationship building. Listen to this one. Rule number two, value the relationship more than making your quota. Value the relationship within that context more than just getting them to church or getting them to the baptismal tank. 
Uh, number seven, think end of time friendships, not end of month totals. Define your niche and position yourself as an expert. In other words, identify what you're gifted in. Identify whether you're good with kids, with children, whether you're good with adults, whether you're good in, in, a, in a teaching environment, in a small group setting. Identify that and then go for it. And then it says here, remember that the road to success, this is rule number 10, success is paved with setbacks. So just understand that. Just understand that when we go out spreading seeds in the community, just understand that there's going to be times when there are setbacks. There's going to be times when the door is shut on our faces. There's going to be times when we're going to be, be labeled a Jesus freak or, or no good for nothing, you know, Bible thumping Christian. Just understand that there's going to be setbacks, but just also understand that the more seeds you stand out, the more chances that you're going to get one that sticks. And I want us to be a church that is spreading out seed in the community. I want to be a church that's known for allowing God to arise in our community because we are intentionally and purposefully going out to the community sharing what God, what Christ commanded us to do, which is to love and to help people out of their current situation. Be a church that's out there spreading seeds because we're told that some of that seed will fall on good soil. Anchor Points with Robert Quintana is a ministry of the Frederick Seventh-day Adventist Church of Frederick, Maryland. If you enjoyed this message, feel free to share it with a friend. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or at frederickSDAchurch.org. Next week, we hope you can plan to join us again as Robert Quintana shares the fourth and last part in his series, Mission Possible, by explaining what it means to allow God to arise in our worship of Him in everything we do. Also, if you're wanting to learn more about how to begin a life change or just wanting more answers, we'd love to talk with you. Feel free to visit us online and check out some of our resources at frederickSDAchurch.org. You can also call us during the week at 301-662-5254. We're located right between I-70 and Route 15 on Jefferson Pike. Our main service takes place Saturdays at 11 a.m., and we'd love for you to join us sometime. Remember, God loves you and wants you to live out His purpose.